You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Testament book of the Gospel of John. We have been walking through John's Gospel now for a while with uh, the idea of looking and living that uh, we have the Word of God through the Gospel of John so that we might know that we have everlasting life. Uh, What a great uh, word that we have from the Lord. You notice we've been singing a lot of this morning with our focus on Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and what it means to understand that Christ did die so that our sins may be forgiven and that we may have life and life eternal. I think uh, that is something that we ought to understand in our heart and celebrate that. Some of us are more willing to be expressive and celebratory in our life. Some of us are more meek and solemn with the, the way that we carry our life. But there just ought to be something about us that we ought to be excited about who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, so take your Bible, John 6. This is the the uh, the John uh, I'm the bread of life part three uh, we've been in John six uh, for a while and we'll as the Holy Spirit roots us around in there for a while we may be in there for a while uh, John chapter six I'm going to back up and read verse thirty five we're going to focus this morning uh, verses forty one through the end of the chapter and so as we look at John chapter six and verse thirty five and following. I want us to think about this, so great a salvation, how great our salvation is. I think John 6 gives us a great way to look at that salvation by, and I, this is kind of what I did this week, just step back and look at the grand and the greatness of what God has done and is doing that makes our salvation so great. Sometimes I think we look at our salvation and we just, uh, we're kind of looking at it so up close and real and personal, which it is. But I think sometimes we just need to step back and as we sing songs about the gospel, as we read the word about the gospel, as we just live the gospel life, that ought to be just the most exciting thing that we can do as believers. Because our salvation is great. And what God has done through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and allowed us to see and to call upon his name in salvation, that is something that ought to just be very exciting. But yet sometimes in our culture, there's just not a lot of excitement going on, is it? Well, I know I'm saved, I'm going to heaven when I die, we just... We treat that like something that's important, but we don't treat it that it really does affect all of your life. You know, when, you, when you're on your Twitter account and you're reading through the, the, I always get the tweets, twits, whatever you call them, you're reading through them and you get the, the political Twitter thing and you start reading about that, you know what you filter that through? 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're watching the news and there's another terrorist attack and you think, oh, and, and we, we begin to process that. What does this look like? We, we process it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is a God that still rules and reigns on his throne. And that man is, is depraved and sinful. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves apart from the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. A message that we need to believe. And a, a message that we need to share and to live out. And a message that must be received. A message that we plead with people to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. All of life kind of wraps up in the gospel. And we're here to believe the gospel and to live that gospel out. But I think theologically, I think from a, a standpoint of our salvation, I think we think of our salvation as something we did a long time ago at a children's event or vacation Bible school or maybe we came to know Christ as an adult and it's just a, an event we put on the calendar and we think about every now and then. But when we think about our salvation, we once were dead in our trespasses and sin and now we're alive. And that is all of life should be about who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the most important aspect of our total being but it just seems that for so many of us within the confines of his church it's just something that we do so let's look at John chapter 6 I'm not a big sermon title guy but I did think about this you'll, you'll see that as we get to it we're either grumbling about it the gospel or we're either glorifying in it. I don't think there's a, a middle road there. We either clearly understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have accepted that and we are redeemed and we are living that life out. Or we are sitting there and we are grumbling about different aspects of the gospel. We can't do both. If you've truly been born again, your life will truly be different. John 6. I'm going to focus on 41, but I want us to back up to verse 35. John 6, 35. I'm going to read all the way to verse 71. So you take your Bible. You follow with me. John 6, 35. I'm going to go all the way through 71. Now remember that Jesus is talking to the religious folks that are questioning who he is. And this is the first of one of the seven I am statements of John's gospel where he is saying, I am. Uh, is a reference to his deity and what he came to do. And, and it also alludes to, I'm saying this because of who I am. I do have the authority to say this. And these seven statements reveal something about Christ and the gospel that can only be found in Christ and the gospel. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, meaning the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. You notice even in these first few verses, there's an aspect about something being initiated and something being brought to completion. Jesus is saying that that the Father has done something and it will be brought to complete completion through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now these are verses that we've not looked at to this point. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled. Now we could stop right there. and There's a long message right there. They are standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and they're grumbling. I wonder how many people across our land are going to sit up under the preaching of the word of God and walk out grumbling. We'll sing the songs of the faith. We'll fellowship with the people. We'll sit up under the word. And before we get out of the driveway of the parking lot, theologically, we are grumbling. And when I say theologically, because I think all of life filters through our theology. You know, if you have a knockdown drag out in the car headed out of the parking lot, that's a theological problem. All of life is a theological issue. How do we relate to God, His Son, the Spirit, the Word? Grumbling. We'll get back to that. So the Jews grumbled about Him. Because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Again, I just, I can't, all week long, I I was in Thursday and I was still on verse 41. They grumbled at Jesus Christ because he said he was Jesus Christ. And he said, this is what is taking place in the life of you and for me. You ever flipped on the news and and they're berating Christians because of what they say God's word has said? It's, It's their grumbling against us. If I stand up today and I say... Thus saith the Lord. And somebody walks out of here, maybe they walked in off the street, and they heard me say, Thus saith the Lord, and and I'm preaching, and they turn around and walk off and say, I don't believe a word of that. Who, Who gives him the right to say that? Well, if I said it, nobody. If I said what he said, he does. And if we're biblical people and we're, we're biblical Christians based on the word, the word, world is not grumbling against First Baptist Church. The world is not grumbling against the Southern Baptist Convention. The world is not grumbling about our constitution and bylaws or our philosophical ways of doing ministry. If we're doing things based on the word of God, the world is grumbling against the gospel and about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we forget that. He start, he, he's, he's, he's won the battle. The battle's already been won. We never need a Gallup poll to determine whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ, whether or not the Lord is on his throne. The battle has already been won. He said, listen, I, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. Verse 42. We may not get to 71 after all. So the Jews said, so, so they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, and I could just hear him saying, how does he now say he came down from heaven? Jesus answered them, 
Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Is it not written? And what Christ always did such a great job is he used the word of God to remind them what God has already said. Did not the prophets already say? Did not the word that you say you believe in as old covenant Jews? Is it not written in the prophets that they will be taught by God under the new covenant? And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He was reminding them that their theological argument had no ground. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God. He has seen the Father. Verse 47. He reiterates what he has said again in verse 35. That's why I want to read verse 35. So 47 is a reiteration of that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread and I came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? If you remember from the beginning of of John chapter 6 and verse 4, they're celebrating the Passover. So again, like I said last week, context, context, context. They would have been celebrating the Passover. They would have understood flesh, blood, bread, wine. All of this was going on. Jesus was talking about what they were celebrating in the old covenant, the deliverance of Exodus and the bread and the wine and the blood. He was saying that we understand today the new covenant in my blood and my body will be fulfilled on the cross they couldn't see the spiritual and they kept going to the physical so Jesus said to them verse 53 truly truly I say to you and this section from 53 to 59 is talking about a picture of what will take place on the cross unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you will have no life in you whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me I live because of the father so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me this is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died whoever feeds on this bread will live forever Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum if we go to verse 60 it becomes quite clear when many of the disciples heard it they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it what is he talking about But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, did you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for Scripture. We thank you for the Father sending the Son and sending the Spirit to open up the eyes of those that are blind to see their sinfulness and their need of salvation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the bread of life. And as we just read, Lord, I I ask for the Spirit to give us life so that we may see from your word the greatness of our salvation. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's look at verses 41 and 43. And then I want us to do kind of a a running commentary, a real quick running commentary of the rest of the verses. And then I want to close with some reflective thoughts. Let's consider this grumbling. Now we have to remember, keep this in context. This is before the cross. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, before the reception that we have today of the Word of God. So it is before the cross, before the Spirit, before the Word. But yet at the same time, the theological facts have not changed. He is still God in the flesh. And what he says is still the Word of God. And so we could say, well, they were grumbling because of this, they were grumbling because of that. They were grumbling because they would not accept Jesus Christ for who he was. That's the issue. They were grumbling. I mean, you could say anything other than a total agreement is grumbling. They were grumbling. Grumbling over salvation, grumbling over how one is to be saved, grumbling over who needs to be saved, grumbling over the the purpose of salvation, grumbling over who Christ is. We're still doing that today. You want to get the world grumbling? You You want to get the workplace? Here's your homework. Write this down. Homework number one, how to get my co-workers grumbling. Go in there Monday morning and start talking about sin, God's holiness, the fallenness of mankind, and the only way that we can know that we know is through the forgiveness of our wretched sin and the holiness and righteousness of God. Now, if you're talking to a believer, they're never going to grumble. It's kind of like witness to a believer. Have you ever witnessed to a believer? I've witnessed to believers, and they think, it's, they, they think it's the greatest thing in the world when you start witnessing to a believer. 
When you start witness to an unbeliever, those are the ones that get mad. You want to know where somebody stands theologically? Talk about, start talking about the things of Scripture. You, you'll, you'll hit the right and do it. You'll either have glory, grumbling or glorifying. So this is what we say, and I'm not saying don't do this in the workplace, because I'm a guy that believes ethically you're supposed to live like you're supposed to live. If you can't talk about, if, you're, if your job says you can't do this, and I think ethically you don't need to do that. So I'm not saying go in there and everybody get fired and then come line up here Monday because you got fired because I told you to. The point is this. The word of God always causes grumbling. Jesus was the word of God. We have the word of God. You know how many times as a pastor, this is sad, this will blow your mind. You know how many times in a pastor preaching 20-something plus years that I have literally had people tell me, I don't, grumbling. Ah, 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 ah. I didn't say this. God did. I don't, I don't care. I, I, that's grumbling. And they were grumbling over Jesus and how they can know that they can be saved, how they know what salvation is, how they can know that they, the new co- old covenant that they loved so dearly is now being fulfilled in the new covenant. He's standing right in front of them. He also said, don't, don't grumble against yourselves. Isn't that great that the, the Spirit can look in our own heart? He knew that the issue was them. They, they were the issue. He wasn't the issue. He just exposed their issue. See, that's what the Spirit and the Word does. It just exposes where the issue is. This deep theological statement, you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, and one you hit is the one that yelps. That's what the Spirit and the Word does. If you believe the Word and you embrace the Word, you celebrate the Word, you amen the Word, you take off running and shouting during church if you want to because you believe every word of it. But when the world, when, when a Christian makes a defining authoritative statement, thus saith the Lord, the world is not going to embrace that on their own. They are going to grumble. So this is what we do as a church today, and this breaks my heart. We don't want the grumbling. Well, let's just don't grumble. So we back away from authoritative truth. Unity becomes the greatest thing that we strive for. So unity at all costs. Let's get along in the world. We keep our faith private. We keep what we believe private. Religion should be a private thing, and we never say a word, and our goal is just to kind of blend in and get along instead of standing for something that we believe in. I think we can stand for something we believe in and still display the fruits of the Spirit. We can stand for something and not be a mean-spirited person. We can, you know, there are times, just, just stand for something. They were grumbling against Jesus. Now, I don't want them to grumble against John. I don't want them to grumble against the church. I don't want to be a cause of stumbling and grumbling. But I want to live my life and proclaim the gospel in such a way that their argument is not with me, it is with the Lord. But they were just grumbling. I, I made two, two thoughts here. Two types of grumbling. One is just that lost grumbling. 
That front-end grumbling, I'm calling it. It's just that idea, you're not Jesus. You're not who you say that you are. It's the world that says, who, who are you to say you are the only way to the Father? Who are you to say that you're the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant? You know, that is just a straight denial on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the world that we live in, that there are many roads to God, and, and there are a lot of isms out there, and a lot of faith, and a lot of re- religious ideas and understanding. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's another I am statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they were grumbling that Jesus Christ is the way. The world's still grumbling about that. I think if we as a church really loved and believed who Jesus was, I think there would be less grumbling. I think they would see a a true salvific witness in our life. We wouldn't just be telling people that Jesus is the only way. They would see it from the way that we lived our life. So this Jesus is the only way grumbling. Christianity is the only way grumbling. They doubted who Jesus was. They looked at Jesus and said, well, wait a minute, you're you're the Joseph's son. The false religions of the day, of today, even admit Jesus was a real person. They're doing the same thing. You're Joseph's son. Jesus said, yeah, I am, but I'm also my father's son. And then I think there's a, in today's context, I think there's a backdoor grumbling. And I think this verse exposes that. It's the idea that we understand Jesus, but we take Jesus on our terms. We create a a Jesus that fits our need. Jesus is adamant in his gospel. You read his gospel. You read the Bible. Sin is a big deal in scripture. We can candy coat it we can push it under the rug you the holiness of God the sinfulness of man our need of salvation the we are in the valley of dry bones that need life if you read all of scripture you get this understanding we are a mess okay you ever heard the analogy we're we're a train wreck dumpster fire I mean we're just a mess stand up and look in the mirror apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ we are a mess and a part of the, the spirit in our, even as believers, I'm going to tell you this, love me afterwards, you're still a mess. You know how I know that? Because I know what you think and do during the week. You know how I know that? Because I do the same thing. And every morning when I really get real and right about prayer and the spirit gets a hold of my heart, I'm like, man, I'm still a mess. I'm a redeemed mess. But it shows me how much I need Jesus how much I need the gospel how much I need to be born again because we, and so the world we live today we don't we, we stay away from sin we stay away from the holiness of God which is why we are sinful because God is the plumb line and so based upon his holiness we are sinful. We live in a, a day and age where we talk about the gospel in church. We don't want to preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't want to preach on sin. We don't want to hold anybody accountable for what is right and what is wrong. And the minute you really start preaching theology and you really start preaching the word, you start grumbling. You hear grumblings. 
I'm all about self-esteem, and I want you to feel good about yourself. As long as you feel good about yourself as you look through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a good example. I, uh, I bring this up because football season has started in. Here, here's, here's Coach Beck on the football field. A little freshman comes up, weighs 85 pounds. Can't pick up a, the little thing that holds the weights on the bar. I mean, he can't even hold that up. He comes up to me, Coach Beck, I'm going to be a middle linebacker for the University of Alabama. Well, you just keep believing in yourself. Don't let anybody take that dream from you. He's a, he's a senior. He's still waiting. Now he's up to a buck 101. Coach Beck, I'm, I'm still waiting on that phone call from Saban. I'm going to be a middle linebacker. Don't you let the world take that dream from you. You believe in yourself. I believe in you. Meemaw believes in you. Is that what that young man needs to hear? This is what I say as a freshman. That's a possibility, but a lot of things would have to change. So let's keep that on the back burner. Let's worry about just trying to figure out what we need to do as a JV football player, as a freshman. Let's work on studies. Let's think about college. Maybe we can go to Alabama, but maybe it's not on an athletic scholarship. And so that's just kind of reality. I want him to feel good about himself. I don't turn around and just bust out laughing. But see, that's the, that's the world we live in. We want to come in, and I know this is, we don't have time for this, we want to come into church and just feel good about ourselves. We want, we want it to be a, an emotional high and everything's just up and everything's just up and nothing bad and nothing, no imperatives, no this, that. You know, we want an emotional connection. Don't preach sin. Don't preach on depravity. Don't preach you need to come to Christ. Don't believe. And that's what we're after. Just get out of bed, pull on your, your clothes and believe in yourself and you can do something. Yes, as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about what I want and my dreams and what, well, you know, don't take that away from me. It's about what he's done for me and how grateful I am that he has done it. It's sad to say that in our churches today, in, in the land that we live in, there's this grumbling over the gospel and over the word and over what truth is. The danger of feel-good preaching. While there may be some truth to it, there's no awe and fear and reverence of God. That doesn't mean that we're angry people, but I think we need to be biblical people. We need to understand that there's a lot of grumbling out there. There will always be a lot of grumbling out there. God will take care of the grumbling. We just need to take care of what he's given us to take care of. Notice this text. Here's a, here's a quick overview. Look at verse 44. There's a, uh, Jesus is saying, okay, they're grumbling. 
Okay, they're, they're grumbling about who he is as the bread of life. He has yet to go to the cross. This helps understand it. He's, he has not gone to the cross yet, but he's painting a picture of what salvation is all about. I'm going to go to the cross and die on the cross, be raised again on the third day. I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit is going to come down. I'm going to give you my word. So there's an already happening Christ is there, but there's a not yet. We see a great picture of salvation right here they don't believe they are grumbling notice what Christ says look at verse 44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day well you want to talk about a snapshot of salvation God in heaven Jesus said the father now, you've got to promise me that you'll come back. To, you don't have to show us your hand. Tonight, I want us to look at Scripture, the Trinity and salvation. Okay? I've done this a couple of times, and y'all have disappointed me greatly. But I say, I will not preach through this this morning, even though I'd love to, for the time's sake, if you'll come back tonight, and you all go, and then you don't show up. But anyway, come back tonight. I'm not going to beg. Stop grumbling at 6 and come to church, Okay? The, 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 the Trinity and salvation. So here's Jesus. I've already, come, I've already said I'm, I'm here to do the Father's will. I didn't just show up on my own. John said, I am here to do the Father's will. The Father's will is redemption. And he looks at them and says, you're not going to get it until the Father opens your eyes to it. You know, we're running around on Monday. My sister lives in northeast Georgia. Is that not a crazy place to be? I called a church member this weekend and go, are y'all really up there? Oh, we're hunkered down in the cabin. cabin. Well, I saw on the internet some crazy things are going to happen when that happens, so I hope they get out of the cabin all right. The eclipse, you get it? That's a pretty supernatural thing, isn't it? And we're all going to go half blind because they told us not to look, but we're going to look anyway. I'll be the first one. It's like, sir, that plate's hot. Yeah, it is hot. Don't look. We'll drive all over the United States to Clayton, Georgia, to see it in Georgia. We, best place to see anything is in Georgia, by the way. So we're up there in Georgia. And we know that there's a supernatural sovereign God that does things we just cannot understand. And we don't question it. Jesus Christ himself said this. No one can come to the Father who sent me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now I love that word draw. This is not drag. This is not me having to go grocery shopping on Saturday to Walmart. This is not a carrot. A commentator said this is not a, a carrot in front of the nose of the horse and they don't know where he's going until you get him in the stable. This is the work of the spirit in the life of a dead man that is hell bound 
because of his lack of a relationship with God. And the spirit woos and opens up their eyes to who they are so that they can see Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said, let's fast forward a little bit. What God starts, he's going to finish. Isn't that incredible? Now, I look at it a little differently. I think Jesus is saying, God starts it and draws it. He brings you into it. That's how he can say, I can keep you to the very last day. I'm going to come back to that in, in a sense. So, it's an aha moment. Somebody, every one of you had that moment. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you had that draw moment. That drawing of God. That, that wooing of God through the Spirit. My aha moment was sitting up in the balcony. That's why I try to take it easy on the balcony, people. I got saved in the balcony. Rehoboth Baptist Church in Tucker, Georgia. Been in church my whole life. Almost cut my finger off at RAs. I was bona fide an RA guy. Wayland, that's why I love Wayland bringing his pocket knife to church. I used to bring my pocket knife to church, and I cut my finger almost off in RA. I remember RA teacher looking at me, and he just went, oh, Lord, have mercy. What did you do? I'm like, <laughs> well, all I knew then was that you could put glue on an RA uh, pledge and glue it on the back of a wood, and I knew that God was God and that Jesus loved me, and there was an ark, and I just, I just knew the big pictures of the gospel. Huh? That's all I knew. And sitting up in the balcony at a youth revival after being up all night long trying to stay awake, the preacher started preaching. That moment I was born again. That moment I realized I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Christ died for my sin. Today is the day of my salvation. I didn't get saved walking that aisle. I didn't get saved talking to that preacher. I didn't get saved when I got back home and got baptized. I didn't get saved at his office. I didn't get saved praying a prayer. I got saved the minute my eyes were opened up in that balcony. I realized all that sin I've been hearing about, that's me. All that grace I've been hearing about is for me. And that moment my eyes were opened up, God drew me to the sun. And you have to admit the same thing happened to you. Verses 47 through 51. He reiterates, and I, I shared it. He's reiterated what he has said. He says, with the Father, the Father's drawing, and I will raise up. You cannot come to, you cannot come to Christ unless the Father's done his work. Jesus, why don't they get it? Why doesn't this world get it? I don't know. That's why we pray for God. Notice how we pray. You ever notice how you pray for the lost world? Think about praying for our country. This is so funny. We believe this, but we don't believe it. If we were to pray out loud right now for our country, God, who do we pray to? God, change their heart. God, open their eyes. God, I pray this for every president. The moment they open up the room to the Oval Office, they have a holy, righteous fear of you and who you are. 
See, we even know that we're asking God to do something that only God can do. If God cannot do it, there's no way of praying for God to do it. There's no prayer. God, heal the sick. God, comfort the needy. God, grow your church. God, create in me a clean vessel. We know this. Everything we do in our life, we do it focused on God. And if everything we do in our life is not focused on God, well, what, where, what can God do for us? The answer is nothing. So Jesus reiterates, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of this, you may not die. We have the bread of life. If you take, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Take and eat. There's completeness there. There's satisfaction there. We never hunger or thirst again. Why? He came down from the Father. We see the Father. We see the Son. We see the Holy Spirit. The, the same God that created the heavens and the earth and allows a, a perfect lunar eclipse one every so many years is the same God that created everything that we see and there's complete balance and unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all working together in this wonderful process of salvation and sanctification and justification and glorification. They're not elements or parts of, they are God. Individually and uniquely, they are God. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Verse 51, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Forever. And the bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 52 through 59, they're grumbling against the cross. As you read that, just step back, think about communion, and think about the cross. Blood, wine, bread, body, cross, Passover. Put all that together in a biblical theological perspective. All of this simply means is Jesus Christ is looking at them and saying, there is no salvation apart from the cross. There is no salvation without the suffering servant that Isaiah talks about. I must die so that you may live. There is no victory without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the reason he died on the cross is for our and your sin. Period. Then he goes on to say, in verses 60 and 71, after the cross, it will be completed. It will be finished. There is no faith. He talks about there is no faith without the Spirit. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is a, a supernatural spirit thing. This is a new covenant thing. And it goes on to say that no one comes unless granted by the Father. That's a very emphatic statement of ownership. Every aspect of salvation from the beginning of time was planned out. As hard as that is for us to even put our mind around it. Judas betraying Jesus was going to happen. 
Jesus going to the cross was going to happen. There's not one event that takes place outside the realm and the sovereignty of God. That is a good thing. That's when we stand up and applaud. I would much rather live in the universe of the, the, my Lord and Master and the sovereign God that has a plan than to be living in some universe that is just haphazard and random. We have no control over what is going on. I love the way this says it. it, it this, is, this, is, this is witnessing right here. This is what happens in witnessing. This is what happens Sunday morning in churches too, by the way. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. He had said that it's spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were. This is why I told you that no one comes to me unless it's granted by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Is that not a picture of our world today? Jesus was looking straight at them and said, listen, this isn't a flesh thing. You're not going to get this on your own. This is a spirit thing. This is a God thing. And unless the Father grants it, you're never going to pick this thing up. You need to... I don't believe that. We're out of here. I have literally had people sit up under the preaching, and it's not my preaching. I have literally had people sit up under the preaching of my word, and on a Sunday morning decided they were walking out of that door never to come back to hear a word I said because they did not like what I said about the word of God. Now, at first that bothered me. Then I said, you know what? They did the same thing to Jesus. I'm not Jesus. They just turned around and walked off. Now, Peter got it. The best he could without the spirit, he got it. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. You want to go too, Peter? Where where am I going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Well, then come on, let's go. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you want to come to me, You need to repent of your sin. Acknowledge you need your sins forgiven. And that your sin is the problem. And you call upon a holy, righteous, sovereign God to save you. And to open your eyes to the truth. Well, if you're even calling out, your eyes are already open. You come to Christ. And you'll understand what the bread of life is. That's all he's saying in John 6. I had an aha moment. I'm going to close with this. This week. I think John 6 has become my new favorite chapter in the Bible. And people say, you know, it's funny. A lot of times people come up to the preacher. I do the same thing. I go somewhere, here's my preacher. Good word, preacher. That's good. Especially now as a preacher, man. I I love to hear a good sermon. I always go up to somebody and go, I'll give you credit, but that's pretty, I'm not using that's pretty good stuff. Can you imagine, and I'm not saying you don't do this, if I spend 10 to 15 hours a week on a sermon, which I probably do in some form or fashion, and let's just say that I have spent 30 to 45 hours studying 
John 6. You want to talk about getting an understanding of what salvation is. I sat there this other morning and I wrote this down. I looked at it from a completely different scenario than I've ever looked at my salvation before. I want to encourage you to do the same. I started from the end and worked my way back, according to John 6. I will be raised on the last day. Hallelujah. When I'm saved, I'm going to paradise. We always talk about, you know, in funeral meditation, oh, we're Jesus right now. I don't know what we're doing, but we're with Jesus. No, on the last day when the dead in Christ shall rise and the whole eschatological things all get worked out, I will be raised on the last day. I am going to be kept in the hands of my Lord and Savior until that day arrives. He's not going to wake up one day and go, okay, I've had enough of this. I cannot do John anymore. Driving me cray-cray, cannot do this. No, the moment that he saved me, I guess before the foundation of the world, he's loved me, to be honest. Try to wrap your arms around that one. I will be raised on the last day. I am kept in the hands of my Lord. Third, I will not be lost. I'll be with him. I considered, looking at the end of John 6, I did consider as they did in John 6 through 60 through 71. I did consider it. I did count the cost. And I am continuing on. And because I did consider, because I counted the cost, because I continued on, I will not be lost. I will be kept in the hands of my Lord. I will be raised to that last day. I will be raised on that last day. I will be kept in the hands of my Lord. I will not be lost. I have counted the cost. I will continue on because I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Then I cross into the supernatural. That's me. I tell people, man, I know, hey, I'm going to be raised up on the last day. I know this. I'm, gonna, I'm in the hands of the Lord. I will not be lost. I got up out of my seat and I counted and I considered and I walked that aisle and I came to Christ and I am continuing on. And as we back up even further, I walk into the realm of God's providence and sovereignty according to Scripture. I did these things because he raised me from the dead.
He opened my eyes that I could even see who Christ was. See, I, I rejoice in what I've done, and I know John 16, you got to come to Christ. you got to believe in Christ. you got to continue on in Christ. Count the cost. Live it out. You're going to be raised again. Once saved, always saved. I rejoice in that. I'm, re- I'm excited about that. I've been redeemed by Christ. I believed. I came. I looked. But I cross over into his realm. I was raised from the dead and I became a new creation I think sometimes we get this mixed up it's not like and I don't want to make light of death but it's not like come up out of your seat and come and get saved what if I die of a heart attack before I get down to the front a good Baptist would say we need to do the altar call in the back we, he, you know I believe, and think through this, I believe the second that boom is when I was saved. I believe with all of my heart, when my my eyes were opened up, I believed, I came, yes, there was something I did. I came to Christ, but I was raised from the dead. Secondly, we're going backwards now. We're not secondly, we're going backwards. I'm rejoicing in who I am. I was raised from the dead. It was granted by the Father. See, that's what makes Christianity Christianity. It's not just a finding Waldo, a hodgepodge of we're believers and we're just all mixed in and we're all just clueless people and we're under the umbrella of salvation in the church. No, by name. By individual heart and name, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for John Beck's sin. We sing about it, a southern gospel song. When I was, he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. You want to have an assurance of your salvation, know that it was granted by the Father. I was drawn by the Spirit. It was given to Jesus by the Father. Again, Mary, you're going to bear a son. His name will be Jesus. And I'm giving you Mary, Jesus, and he's going to be born in a, in a manger, and he's going to live a perfect life, and Jesus, as God in the flesh, is going to be given, he has been given the task of redemption. I believe with my, all of my heart and what scripture teaches, he was given us at that point, given that role to seek and to save that which was lost and to give life more abundantly. I don't think it's a generic throwing out there. I believe it is a personal thing that Christ has done for us individually. If I'm going to rejoice of what I have at the end individually, why can I not rejoice in what he has given us individually at the beginning? that was about got full of the Holy Ghost up here phone went off that's just confirmation right there people rejoice in your salvation I'm saved 
He knows my name. We sing about it. He knows my name. From the very beginning, I believe he knew our name. We can look at it generically, the church. We can look at it however we want to. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to look at it. He knew me by name. I wouldn't have saved me, I can tell you that. But I know I'm saved because he sent his son for me to die on a cross for me and opened up my heart. And if I can't find joy in that, I can't find joy in anything. If you don't have joy in your salvation with Jesus Christ, the moment we begin to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, I want you to follow Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. You'll never hunger and thirst when you come to me. Why? Not because of you, but because me and my Father in the Spirit. See, that's what makes this so great. We'll never hunger and thirst again because of what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have done. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the message of redemption, of what it means to be saved. It is vast and complex, but simple. We know from your providential, sovereign, loving rule, there are things going on we could never understand. But we pray right now, Father, you, as we always pray for those that don't know you, Lord, open up the eyes and the heart and the mind and break the will of those that do not know you and let today be the day of their salvation and allow them to understand what it means to come to Christ and to follow after you, Lord. Let us be a people that find true satisfaction in the bread of life. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.